Are you struggling with kids fighting, yelling, and more despite listening to the podcast and reading all the books? Parenting can be so overwhelming and exhausting. You know, I see you and I have something that will help. Mindful Parenting SOS. I'm offering free live mindful parenting sessions starting Monday, May 6th. Basically, live mindful parenting lessons that you normally have to pay for. So if you struggle with getting your kids to listen, tantrums, misbehavior, and feeling the guilt of yelling at your kid, then you should definitely get your spot in Mindful Parenting SOS. I'll be there to answer your questions in person, and if you can't make it, we will have replays available. Don't wait to get your spot now. It's free. Go to mindfulmamamentor.com slash SOS to register. That's mindfulmamamentor.com slash SOS. I can't wait to see you there. If you want to develop a resource like self-worth or patience or skillfulness with your teenager, if you want to develop these resources inside yourself, that involves learning. And we can't learn unless we can sustain mindful awareness of an experience we're having at the time. Mm -hmm. So mindfulness is a superpower of superpowers of superpowers. It enables us to learn, which then enables us to do other things. You're listening to the Mindful Mama podcast, episode number 247. Today, we're talking to Dr. Rick Hansen about how to live. Welcome to the Mindful Mama podcast. Here, it's about becoming a less irritable, more joyful parent. At Mindful Mama, we know that you cannot give what you do not have, and when you have calm and peace within, then you can give it to your children. I'm your host, Hunter Clark Fields, Mindful Mama Mentor. I help smart, thoughtful parents stay calm so they can have strong, connected relationships with their children. I've been practicing mindfulness for over 20 years. I'm the creator of the Mindful Parenting Course, and I'm the author of Raising Good Humans, a mindful guide to breaking the cycle of reactive parenting and raising kind, confident kids. Hey, welcome back, my friend. I am so glad to connect with you. If you're new, of course, I'm very happy to connect with you too. Welcome. So glad you're here. In just a moment, I'm going to be talking to Dr. Rick Hansen. He is a PhD psychologist, senior fellow of UC Berkeley's Greater Good Science Center, and the New York Times bestselling author. He's lectured at NASA, Google, Oxford, and Harvard, and taught in meditation centers worldwide. An expert on positive neuroplasticity, his work has been featured on BBC, CBS, NPR, and all other major media, and now, of course, the Mindful Mama podcast. He began meditating in 1974 and is the founder of the Wellspring Institute for Neuroscience and Contemplative Wisdom. He loves the wilderness and taking a break from emails, and I am so excited to get this amazing speaker. Dr. Rick Hansen is such a powerful force for good in the world and teaches us about how we can create more good in the world. And we're going to talk about how parenting can be mentally and physically depleting, especially for moms, how the greater challenges and vulnerabilities we're experiencing, the greater the resources we need to meet these challenges. So we're going to talk about this and how mindfulness can be a primary resource that really helps us develop the other resources in ourselves. So I want you to listen for some important takeaways, how the greatest unacknowledged health problem in the developed world is a mother's long-term stress and depletion, how body awareness can disrupt neurotic preoccupations, and how we can move from having experiences to cultivating traits. 
This is a powerful conversation you are going to want to listen to all of. And before we dive in, if all of these things sound like work that you want to do, it may be time for you to join the Mindful Mama Transformation Coaching Group. It is open right now. I still have a couple of spots left. You can learn more about it at mindfulmamamentor.com slash group coaching. You know, if you've kept it to yourself for too long that you're struggling, it is so powerful to come together with a group of loving women where you can be vulnerable, you can open up and get coaching. And we go through the mindful parenting method of calming reactivity. I walk you step-by-step step through habits that steady the heart, the mind, and the nervous system, understanding your triggers, really walking the talk finally so that you can have calm and ease and really a huge, powerful force of self-compassion and become this really grounding influence for the rest of your family, for the rest of your life. So we really do this inside out transformational work. It is one of the most powerful things I do with women. I love opening up these tiny groups. You really become this kind of VIP in my life when you join and I have a couple of spots left. So if this is speaking to you, Go check it out, mindfulmamamentor.com slash group coaching, or just reach out to me. I get on the phone with everybody who joins. So do that. It could be a decision that changes your life. And I would love, love to work with you more with this. So check that out. And now on to this episode. Rick Hansen, thank you so much for coming on the Mindful Mama podcast. I'm really honored that you're here. Well, I'm really honored actually to be here. And part of uh, what motivates me is that my very first book was called Mother Nurture. It came out almost 20 years ago. I and, saw. <laughs> yeah. And uh, it came from my just really heartfelt feeling for children. And if you really care about children, you then need to really care about their parents, especially yeah. the person who's doing usually the bulk, all of the bearing and most of the rearing, the mother. So if we wanted to change uh, humanity in one generation, make the welfare of mothers the number one public health priority. Bingo. Oh my Changes everything. So I, I feel very, I mean, I'm a guy, da-da, and uh, I have just great respect and appreciation for women broadly and what you go through uh, altogether and how mistreated women have been as a class, probably arguably more than any other group of people th throughout history, and then in particular appreciation for mothers. So when you had, uh, you know, when you invited me, I immediately felt honored, and of course, I want to, I want to be part of this. Yeah, I want to help in any way I can. Oh, good. I'm so glad. And and yeah, it's interesting because I, I know you from your work with neuroscience and meditation. And then I saw, of course, the Mother's Nurture book. I'd love to ask you about that. But, you know, there's so many things I want to ask you because you talked about the science behind meditation and this mother. And you're a little smarty pants, Rick. You were in UCLA <laughs> at 16 years old. <laughs> and your dissertation was gratifying control of mothers offering alternatives to toddlers. That's really interesting. So I'm trying to like kind of do the math so if you're in your ucla dissertation at 16 you're probably doing your dissertation when you're like a t young 20 something year old no guy. i wandered no? in the wilderness for a while <laughs> oh. um, part of my advice to younger people is get your training in early if you possibly can it's a lot easier in your 20s than in your 30s but yeah 
<laughs> but you've been interested in mothers and, and parenting for a long time. For a long time, yeah. yeah. Totally. I mean, my own mom was, neither my parents are alive any longer, very loving person, probably grappled with some depression, uh, maybe postpartum. And, uh, you know, I just saw the wear and tear in her. And and then also, uh, we are uh, oldest child, we have two kids, uh, 32 and 30. And so 32 years ago, uh, the oatmeal hit the fan. And I, I watched my wife, who's a very robust, healthy, sane person, get gradually worn down, depleted, was a central idea there, physically, literally physically depleted from uh, all that a woman goes through with, you know, bearing and rearing and nursing children, and also stressed by the stresses, the relentless stresses, which gradually accumulate over time. And so it's really striking for me to watch someone who is so robust get worn down slowly but surely, long after the six months postpartum, after which, you know, women tend to fall off the radar of the healthcare system, but it's around year three or around the second child or when the wheels start to really come off on a relationship with a partner and issues having to do with teamwork and intimate friendship gradually accumulate, blah, 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 blah. It's around, in my experience, when kids are moving through preschool into grade school that you really see moms most just out of gas, running on empty. Yeah, yeah, I, I mean, I, I talk about that a lot like that this self-care, I mean, there's all those systemic things, but that's a self-care, like this is not only not selfish, it's really a responsibility because then you get to this, you know, you can get to this incredibly depleted state where if, you know, that, that, that filling one's own cup isn't happening. um, It's, it's, yeah, there's resentment, I'm sure all around. Oh yeah. That's a huge topic. And three out of four Women certainly in America will have children, so it's it's a it's a situation that applies to certainly the great majority of women. Uh, and uh, if you think about it, in my view, the greatest unacknowledged public health problem in the developed world is the long-term stress and depletion of mothers, which then has all kinds of cascading effects on relationships, in the economy, on children, and so forth. And if you look at the research on the ways in which uh, the uh, risk for physical health issues of uh, autoimmune illnesses, uh, psychiatric issues, depression, anxiety, uh, certain cancers, uh, chronic health problems that are kind of fuzzy and yet certainly very, very real, the risks of those directly go up based on the number of children a woman has had. And I have to think that if this were applied to man, (laughs) we'd be having a sudden surge of billions of dollars pushed into funding to think about this and support, you know, give support in this area. So it's it's an enormous topic. Um, I think in some cases there's an internalization of, of among of women of the culture that says you should never complain. You're supposed to be sacrificing. You're supposed to be worn out. You're supposed supposed to suck it up and you know be able to perform all these roles perfectly all the time, right? Mm-hmm. You know, and and then that gets internalized. It becomes harder to talk about what's actually behind in the phrase the mask of motherhood. Adrian Rich coined that phrase, really a beautiful phrase. So anyway, there's a lot there. And, and it was interesting for me as a, as a man uh, to look at it from the sidelines mm-hmm. and go, holy moly, you know, because I was a little bit outside it. You know, yeah. I think it was partly, it was interesting. Like, why did I come up with, like, 
you know, why did I come up with so much material about the comprehensive care of body, mind, and relationships for women long term in a structured kind of way? And I think, and, and why was I really so interested in this topic? I think because I was an outsider. Mm. I think because I was, in a sense, a stranger who came to town, the town of motherhood, and I could see it. And I was like, this is stunning what mm. you people, you know, mothers <laughs> have to deal with. Thank you. And holy moly. Yeah. I need more support. So yeah, we need to shine material. a light on that. Yeah, that I mean, well, that shows a great compassion on your part to see that and not just say, "No, this is the way it is." You know, taking for granted mm-hmm. what, and you know, mm-hmm. kind of what you're alluding through to are, of course, all these myriad of causes and conditions yeah. to this um, to this problem that, of course, are you know, in that, in that mindfulness world are, you know, we look at sort of, there's a, many, many causes and conditions of everything, including, yes. including ourselves. So one of the things, this is a, a way to think, thinking about this idea of, of motherhood and that, that depletion. For me, what I, I see meditation, I see mindfulness, I see stopping and stillness as a huge piece and a huge, um, a piece of like medicine for for this for this illness and for this problem of you know this chronic self-sacrifice and depletion etc and um and that i guess that's the battle i fight <laughs> is to say that this there is this this wonderful this piece you know far beyond you know getting you know i mean getting massages are amazing actually they're really great but like getting you know a manicure or whatever they're the sort of pop culture ideas of of self-care are um this sort of deep um psycho spiritual emotional self-care mm-hmm. which uh, a mindfulness meditation practice can be of just sitting mm-hmm. still with ourselves yeah. um is uh is is of great benefit and you have done a lot of incredible study mm. um on the scientific research uh behind that so maybe you could tell us a little bit about that oh sure a uh, couple quick points on the way into that first obviously and i think most mothers would say uh certainly the ones i've uh, read or spoken to uh, they would say both that motherhood is the most fulfilling significant, rewarding, wonderful thing they've ever done in their entire lives. And also the most demanding, mm-hmm. the most engaging, the most wearying, the most stressful, the most depleting. Both both truths. The one does not take away from the other. Both truths alongside each other, certainly. Um, second, there's a fundamental idea, you may be familiar with it in medicine and, and psychology, that says that a person's course through life is based on three factors, fundamentally. Challenges, vulnerabilities, and resources. In other words, the combination of the challenges that were upon an individual, which depend on different things, which land on the vulnerabilities that individual has, are offset by the resources that person draws upon. The practical takeaway is the greater the challenges, and motherhood is a real challenge, And the more that an individual has any kind of vulnerabilities, maybe their vulnerabilities in their relationship with their partner, maybe their economic vulnerabilities, maybe their physical vulnerabilities, like a predisposition to some dysregulation of hormones, whatever it might be, the more that their vulnerabilities, maybe a person has a history of trauma, maybe the person is older when they have children, maybe this is their fifth kid or third kid after a difficult pregnancy. The greater the vulnerabilities, as well as the greater the challenges, the greater the resources need to be. 
Mm-hmm. And routinely, people walk into my office and I see that they're under-resourced. So if we are to cope with our challenges and also if we are to have anything left over for other people, let alone our perfectly appropriate moral rights to take care of our own needs, if we are to have any capacity for that, we must increase resources. So definitely inside that frame, one of the primary resource experiences and traits to develop. We have states and traits, right? We have passing experiences, and then we have more stable qualities we develop inside ourselves. We can have states, experiences of mindfulness. We can also develop trait mindfulness. So we're increasingly rested in a stability of present moment awareness wherever we go, in addition to formal practices of that. Okay. Mindfulness absolutely is a primary resource. It's foundational to the development deliberately of other resources inside yourself because if you can't sustain mindfulness to beneficial experiences you're having, if you want to develop a resource like self-worth or patience or skillfulness with your teenager, Mm -hmm. uh, let's say, if you want to develop these resources inside yourself, that involves learning and we can't learn unless we can sustain mindful awareness of an experience we're having at the time. Mm -hmm. So mindfulness is kind of a a superpower of superpowers of superpowers. It enables us to learn, which then enables us to do other things as well. So that's a way into that, absolutely. And there's a lot of research that shows that one of the absolute best things a person can do for their mind, I think of meditation or mindfulness broadly as to the mind what aerobic activity Physical activity is to physical health. It's just absolutely fundamental. And um, research shows that even brief periods of mindful practice, we could talk about detail of this, in the middle of a busy life, can leave lasting beneficial physical changes in the brain. Parenting can be loud, stressful, and rough some days. And we want to be able to go to bed and take care of ourselves in a really beautiful way. And that's why I love that Cozy Earth is a sponsor of the podcast, Cozy Earth offers bedding products that will transform your sleep. The bedding is temperature regulating, which is like a huge sleep benefit, has superior softness, incredible fabric, and incredibly high quality. All the products come with a 10-year warranty. Truly, incorporating Cozy Earth products into your self-care routine can enhance your sleep quality and your overall wellness. You deserve to treat yourself to the ultimate in comfort and indulgence after all the day's craziness of parenting with cozy earth bedding and sleepwear. And it's a way to prioritize your self-care and sleep health. You deserve it. And here's an exclusive Mother's Day offer just for our listeners. Use the code MINDFUL35 for 35% off. That's awesome. At CozyEarth.com. That's coupon code MINDFUL35 for 35% off at CozyEarth.com. I want to tell you about a great podcast that you should check out, especially if you ever deal with any school system, which you probably do. It's called Understood Explains. This season of the show is hosted by teacher and special education expert Juliana Ortube, and it's all about how to navigate individual education plans, also known as IEPs. And this season of Understood Explains covers topics like how to tell if your child needs an IEP and busts common myths about special education. 
So I checked out the episode on the difference between IEPs and 504 plans because my daughter Maggie uses a 504 plan and it was really, really helpful. It went over all the differences, which one's better, how to get them, different myths and what your rights are, all kinds of different things that you should understand if your child may need extra help in education through an IEP or a 504 plan. The tone is super helpful, friendly, and smart. I highly recommend you check it out. To listen to Understood Explains, just search for Understood Explains in your podcast app. That's it. Understood Explains. Oh my goodness, I couldn't agree with all the things you said more, Rick, and you said it so beautifully. Uh, and it's interesting now I think about like how, why, you know, what in some ways, as you said that it, it occurred to me, you know, why, you know, why going to the gym and getting our exercise and all those things are so important for us now that we have to invest some, some time and energy and, and, and resources into that, right? Like when a long time ago, it may have been that we were hunter gatherers or we worked on a farm yeah. and we got all this physical effort exercise just by the course of our daily life. So it was not something special we had to do so much so that those, those, you know, we, we think of those like funny guys and in, in leopard skin outfits with like the funny dumbbells from when, when exercise started to become yeah. this popular extra thing you started to do. Right. And now mindfulness is not really something that we do naturally in our everyday life. Whereas before, if we worked on a farm or we were in a hunter-gatherer society, we probably would have had times where we were not listening to a podcast and, you know, washing the dishes or, yeah. or we were just walking down to visit a friend or family member quietly by ourselves on a quiet wooded path, or we were just sitting, taking a break and just sitting with our own selves and our own thoughts quietly. I'm sure that happened so much more now, of course, with the, the internet in our pockets, that really doesn't happen very often for a, a great many of us. Tara Brock, you're so right. Tara Brock has this beautiful phrase, the sacred pause, mm. where we just pause and we claim the right to pause. Mm. We claim the right to not be pushed and prodded by the demands of everybody else, including our beloved children. Now, sometimes we can't pause. We can't pause to pull our kid back from an onrushing bus, our kid rushing into the street, let's say, running into the street. But most of the time, we really can pause. And in that pause, right? You, we both know what we're talking about here. We gather ourselves, we start to return to center, we start to find our footing again, literally a breath. You know, maybe I'll just share with you this neat little practice I've started to do um, as a meditation practice. And a person can do it very briefly or they can take a little more time with it. It involves five breaths. There's a lot of neuropsychological thoughtfulness behind these, this practice. Uh, there's a lot of depth to it, but experientially, it's extremely simple. Breathing while feeling your chest as a whole. Breathing while feeling caring. I'm going fast here because it's a podcast. We can slow it down for a meditation. Third, breathing while feeling cared about. Breathing while feeling peaceful. Breathing while feeling content. 
think even in our sped up podcast form, we can feel that the yeah, changes. Just, that. I've been feeling it. Just I yeah. went through it. It's like an incantation almost, but very rapidly we reset. And the fact that such a simple intervention, which if you just do five breaths in a row, um, it takes less than a minute. You can take more time with it to get in touch with it. And as you practice it, you get, you're more able, you develop the trait of peacefulness mm -hmm. and contentment and um, warm-heartedness, caring flowing out and caring flowing in. Um, but just literally five breaths like that reset us, which reveals and illustrates the ways in which our resting state is a beautiful place. Mm. The problem is our home base is uh, unfamiliar ground <laughs> for many <laughs> of us who spend our days with a chronic inner homelessness. And that's why mindfulness, and I can just feel it in your own energy, brings us home, brings us back to our home, our true home, our resting state. And we just need to come home. I love that. So you've done a lot of research into what is happening, right? Like mm -hmm. what is happening in the brain and, and why it provides these benefits. And, and many of us, I think, feel like, you know, I think if you don't understand that, you may think, oh, this feels good. This is this mm -hmm. woo-woo thing that feels good. But is it really good for me? We have these ideas that things that are good for us don't feel very good. <laughs> right. Isn't that interesting? Well, um, so I'll, I'll tell you uh, four major ways that a regular mindfulness practice changes your brain for the better. But before I do that, I do want to flag that notion that somehow uh, if there's, there's no gain without pain. Mm. And I just want to speak to that for a moment. First of all, most pain has no gain, mm. period. It's just irritation. It's just anxiety. It's just worry. It's just sadness. It's just hurt. It's just resentment. It's just negative rumination. It's just stress. There's no growth from it. There's no healing from it. There's no gain, period. I think we can all see that directly. Second, it is true that there are certain kinds of gains that do come through pain, right? You go through a loss and it's very painful but you get to the other side of it. And in the process of that, maybe your heart is more open to the losses of others. You build compassion. Uh, loss tenderizes the heart, as they say. Okay, but there's a legitimate question, which is, could you have developed greater compassion, greater loving kindness, greater empathy for others, greater understanding of others without going through that loss yourself, right? Uh, and so, and it's also true that the primary pathway to growth if think about anything you want to grow, you want to grow trait compassion, you want to grow trait gratitude, trait self-worth, trait healthy entitlement, the, the sense that, hey, wait a minute here, my needs also matter inside this family. They don't matter more than others, but they don't matter less than others. Certainly they don't matter less than my partners, right? Uh, I have a duty to my children, but adult, adult, hello, there needs to be some mutuality here, right? That's something we're developing. Well, the process of developing that requires that we experience whatever we want to grow. We must experience gratitude to develop trait gratitude. We must experience healthy self-worth to grow trait self-worth. And most of those experiences of that which we want beneficially to grow are emotionally positive. Mm, they yeah. feel good because they are good. Because in our evolution, Mother Nature evolved rewards to mark and motivate us to have the experiences 
which would then be the basis for developing the traits which would enable us to survive and help our loved ones survive and pass on genes that could pass on genes. Happiness is skillful means. Yay. There's this kind of yay. There's <laughs> this weird notion that if you're not miserable, you're not paying attention. You can pay attention and be royally pissed off about injustice while not letting hatred invade your heart. Mm -hmm. Duh. And 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 not feeling disempowered and, and immobilized and incapable of doing the best you can to help the world be better at any scale, whether it's inside your living room uh, in a family meeting or out in the streets protesting injustice of one kind or another, right? We can have both of those true. I am so happy you said that, Rick, and because in my mindful parenting course, I all in every single session I said I ask invite people to start with the wins. Yeah. What are you appreciating? What did you do that was great? And I invite us to lean into those wins, feel those wins, and ex try to experience them because that's what we're really trying to cultivate, right? Is that's what we're yeah. really trying to experience is to have the more more of that. So we have to lean into that and mm -hmm. and uh, and 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 your pointing out that this is this is the way uh it, it works for humans this is just how we're wired and and i appreciate it so much <laughs> yeah that's really great so just summarize a lot of stuff i would three things right you know how to how to deal how to live right one deal with the bad see it deal with it cope with it solve problems be resourceful sustain effort deal with the bad second Turn to the good. What is also true? What are the things that are still working? What are the qualities inside you that are still wholesome and beneficial? What is the good that you can see behind the behind the eyes of another being? All right. Turn to the good. What are the flowers that are still blooming? What is the coffee that still tastes good? <laughs> right. Turn to the good. You're a good person. I can see that immediately. You know, recognize that. And then third, take in the good. Mm. Don't waste it on your brain. Don't let it pass through your brain like water through a sieve while your negative experiences sink in, right? Deal with the bad, turn to the good, take in the good. That just summarizes so much about practice. And when we turn to the good of mindfulness practice, including brief focused forms of mindfulness practice like a five minute meditation, say, we have the opportunity to gradually take in that good and develop traits of mindfulness and related traits mm -hmm. of spaciousness and self-acceptance and inquiry and curiosity and stability of presence, right? Based on durable changes in the brain. So now I can talk about those four major changes in your brain based on regular mindfulness practice. I'll do it fast. <laughs> Basically, to summarize it, Regular mindfulness practice improves the neural circuitry of one, regulation of attention, two, body awareness, three, emotion regulation, and four, a more relaxed and spacious sense of self. Hey there, I'm Debbie Reber, the founder of Tilt Parenting and the author of the book Differently Wired. The mission of Tilt is to change the way neurodivergence whether that's having a learning disability, having ADHD, being gifted, autistic, or some combination of all of the above, is perceived and experienced so differently wired kids and the parents like us raising them can truly thrive. On the Tilt Parenting Podcast, I get to talk with authors, therapists, educators, and parenting experts who are committed to this mission. 
I ask the questions my listeners are most curious about when it comes to supporting our kids. And in turn, my guests share strategies for challenges, out-of-the-box ideas for navigating school, best practices for therapies, tips for advocating, and so many thoughtful insights on what it really takes to help our kids grow up feeling seen and respected so they can create awesome lives for themselves. I know that raising a differently wired kid can feel overwhelming and isolating, but I promise you, you are not alone and it can feel so much better. If you're on this parenting journey, come listen to Tilt Parenting. Together, we can shift this paradigm and show up for our exceptional kids with hope, possibility, and joy. Feel like you're the martyr in your family? You're not alone. Hey, this is Joanne. And Brie. And we're from the No Guilt Mom podcast. Brie, we talk to a lot of moms. Yeah, we sure do. And if you're a mom who has a to-do list that is so massive that you get overwhelmed and you shut down. Or if you fall into the habit of doing everything for everyone and don't know how to change it, we can help you become a No Guilt Mom. We're going to take you from family martyr to family model. That's role model. So that you role model the behavior that you want to see out of your kids. You're going to go from being tired and overwhelmed to energized and guilt-free. Every week, you'll get actionable strategies that you can implement right away from the experts that we interview and from us. We also have a whole lot of fun. So check out the No Get Mom podcast everywhere you listen to your favorite shows. There is neural circuitry. I'm using the word circuitry loosely that underpins those four aspects of our psychology and measurably through all kinds of different studies that accumulate to point in a very summary way to these changes, uh, regular mindfulness practice improves the circuitry, like I said, of regulating your attention, being in touch with your body, being able to be more emotionally balanced and have a more spacious and kind of lighthearted sense of self. That's great. Mm. And it's it when as these changes happen, I mean the regulation of attention, body awareness, emotional regulation, the relaxed, spacious sense of self. I've been practicing a meditation practice for uh, fifteen years now, and uh-huh. so I've experienced these changes. I was a very um, I was very I'm a very highly sensitive person was very like emotionally sort of up and down uh, for the first 27 years of my life and and these changes become this like foundation for for a whole uh, a whole bunch of things a whole bunch of yes. ways of being able to deal with all of the things that life throws at you uh, with that, you know, just more groundedness, better able to handle everything that that's there, that, that spaciousness, you know, is a huge part of that. And I imagine that is for you. I, and I also want to hear about like how your own practice started. How did you get interested in this too? So many questions I could ask you, uh, right. I'm so sorry to, to, uh, pepper you with them. Oh, it's great. You know, it's funny. Just to, it, the word that came to me to summarize what you were saying was the word plop. Mm. Just plop. We plop. Um, you know, that's the essence of mindfulness practice, I think, to just plop. Yeah, this like stopping of the rumination. You know, mm-hmm. just this is what is, this is what's here. And and sometimes I think about that I, I think a lot about how mindfulness is perceived by people who may not practice mindfulness because mm-hmm. I'm, I, I 
feels so strongly about its power. And I think about that idea of body awareness and, well, why should I want more body awareness? What does that have mm -hmm. to do with it? Um, mm -hmm. Maybe you could just speak to that briefly. Not that that's the strongest part of it, but it is really interesting how that we do plop <laughs> yeah. into the sense of like, that sense of body awareness is, is a sense of like, oh, I am here, right? Yeah. And, and it's a, a release of, of a lot of things in some ways. Well, so on the one hand, there are some people who, because of health issues, they're hyper aware of their body. Mm -hmm. And so that's why I think that it's important to just name that uh, it's valuable to have a diversity of techniques, a diversity of practices that respect the diversity among different people. So if someone, for example, has dealt with a lot of chronic pain or has been traumatized in their body, then calling their attention, for example, to things like the sensations of breathing or, um, may not be appropriate for them. So then maybe there's something else for them to pay attention to. So having acknowledged that kind of caveat, you know, that exception, yeah. uh, body awareness serves us in so many ways. For one, it's this foundation of, of emotional awareness, of self-awareness. If you're not in touch with your body, it's hard to be in touch with how you feel because sensation is an important aspect of emotion. So you don't know yourself. You, you're a stranger in your own house. How can you come home if you're out of touch with your body? Uh, also, as parents know, the, un, the fundamental, uh, the mind is constructed like a house from the bottom up or more like a layer cake, you know, with different layers, different strata. The deepest layers of the psyche have to do with sensory motor learning mm. in infancy, including in utero. Uh, and so uh, as we burrow, as we reclaim our own interior, we get in touch with our own depths. And those deepest depths are nonverbal and they're sensory motor. Uh, so we, we know ourselves, we come to know ourselves. Um, we become familiar with ourselves uh, as we tune into our bodies. Then more specifically, new science is showing that body awareness um, can interrupt all kinds of problematic mental tendencies. For example, to uh, live in the future and worry about the future, get caught up in excessively planning, or uh, regret the past, uh, be preoccupied with the past, mental time travel. Mm -hmm. Also, another problematic tendency we have is to get caught up in me, myself, and I. My precious, why did you treat me that way? How dare you talk to me like that? I'm right, you know, blah, blah, blah. Okay, good. Not you sound like someone I hear in the news. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I could go there myself. <laughs> okay, great. So here we have these two potentially problematic tendencies to be caught up in mental time travel and negative rumination that's very self-saturated. All right. As soon as you tune into your body, like that very first breath, breathing while feeling your chest as a whole, you're tuning into your body in a also a holistic gestalt uh, kind of sense. You're taking you're, you're aware of your body as a whole. So there's it's a two for one there. Just the body awareness part neurologically engages a part of the brain called the insula. There are two of them, one on either side of the temporal lobes on the sides of your brain. Okay, fine. When you engage the insula through internal body awareness interoception it's called the, like the sensations of the chest rising and falling the 
cool air coming in to warmer air flowing out as you breathe. When you engage the insula to do that, insula to do that, what happens is that it acts like something of a circuit breaker and it stops, it reduces activity in parts of the brain that are caught up in mental time travel, worrying about the future, obsessing about the past, and also parts of the brain that are the basis for a lot of the sense of self. Me, 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 me. So tuning into your internal sensations brings you into the present, disrupts neurotic preoccupations, and calms the contracted, beleaguered sense of self. Just that, just that has that impact neurologically. And with repetition, then you develop trait uh, interoception, trait stability of present moment body awareness, which um, reduces and um, you know pulls you into a good direction away from uh, mental time travel and selfing. So you come into the present with a feeling of being a person without getting selfish about it. It's so, it's so beautiful. Um, this, this idea of, you know, coming into our bodies, it, it's, it's something that's so intuitive in some ways, but the, the, the science behind it, this interrupting of, of mental tendencies, it's amazing. It, yeah. we, can, we can just do this. And you talked also a little bit about, you've talked a couple of times about this idea of traits versus yeah. practices versus experiences. Can you speak a little bit more to this idea of developing something that's more of a trait? I mean, loosely, we know that what we practice grows stronger, um, but your, um, your, your studies into sort of the neuroscience of meditation, it shows that this is that we we have this ability to build traits incredibly mm -hmm. like we can just build these these traits that we would like to build in ourselves traits like compassion traits like calm traits like body awareness etc yeah um exactly right so from a practical standpoint uh we want to develop qualities inside ourselves people want to be happier People want to feel less anxious. People want to heal the past, right? People want to develop qualities even of, you know, the upper reaches of human potential, qualities of deep, deep serenity in the core of your being, no mm -hmm. matter what happens, right? We want to develop these things. We want to become stronger, more Hell resilient. Yeah. Listen. Hell yeah. We <laughs> want to become more committed to exercise or sobriety or whatever it might be. Um, so we want to develop these good things. Hell yeah, I like that. <laughs> More moxie. I think moxie is an underrated spiritual resource. So <laughs> we want to develop them. How do we do that? It's a two-stage process, but the second stage is necessary. First, we must experience what we want to grow. Second, we must it must change our brain in some way, in a lasting way. Otherwise, it was a momentary experience of something gratitude, self-worth, moxie, patience, whatever. But it did not increase it as an attribute. We did not acquire that quality to any greater extent. We did not cultivate it. We did not learn. This seems so obvious. And yet, I got to say, Hunter, I'm just surrounded. And I've been in therapy world for 30 plus years, Buddhist spiritual world for almost 50 almost at this point. And um, 
and human potential broadly. And I've just been stunned, honestly, by the lack of attention to lasting learning, lasting mm -hmm. growth. We're mm -hmm. really good at having experiences. Experiences are easy. That's cheap. It's easy to have an experience of mindfulness for a minute. But to develop trade mindfulness so that at will, you can just drop in and bingo, you are there for 10 minutes in a row, basically. That's not a simple thing. And we don't tend to talk about that actual process that moves from state to trade, from experiencing to learning. And that's been a major focus of my work. I'd say that alongside the material I developed about mothering and motherhood, uh, an, an equal, maybe even larger body of work is on positive neuroplasticity. How to, um, what can we do when we're having an experience that's useful to help it sink in? and stick to our ribs. And um, so if we use that power, that power in how we engage our experiences, so that let's say, I'm talking to my wife, been married 38 years, and I realize this is not going well. I'm saying stuff that's not helping, or I'm getting caught up in my mind in ways that are not helping. I want to learn a different way. I want to become lighter about this. I want to remember the next time not to go down that alleyway. I want to be more aware of the facial expressions of exasperation, <laughs> like you got to be kidding, and they're crossing my face. I want to learn, right? What do yeah. I do right then and there? Or there you are, you're meditating, and you're, you're dropped into this sense of peacefulness, and you think, how can I help this sink in so I carry it with me? rather than 10 minutes after I get off the cushion, I'm yelling at my kids again, mm -hmm. right? How can I do that? Well, we can really help ourselves change in lasting ways for the better in a much more accelerated way, which is what we really want, right? Hell yeah, that's what we really want. We can change in a more accelerated way by doing very simple things inside our own minds while we're, having, while we're experiencing whatever we wanna grow. Simple things like stay with it for a breath or longer rather than changing the channel inside your mind so fast or letting others rain on your parade. Stay with it. If you know what it feels like to feel like a good person, stay with it. If you know what it, if, if you're in the moment, you're having this clarity that, you, that with someone you love, that their issues are not your issues. You can care about them and love them but you're not implicated in their problems, even if they're somehow blaming you for them. You're having that realization. You wanna help it really sink in, right? Stay with yeah. it. And then second, try to feel it in your body. Try mm -hmm. to, like you said, body awareness, have more of an embodied sense of it because the more we bring in um, body sensations, the richer the experience is and the more it's gonna be stabilized inside us. Feel it in your body. Also, notice what feels good about it. When we attend to what's rewarding in our experiences, that increases activity of dopamine and norepinephrine in our brains. And as those neurochemicals get more active, they flag the experiences of the time at the time as keepers to stay with it and prioritize them into long-term storage. Just those simple things. They're internal. They're under your own control. No one needs to know you're doing them. Mm -hmm. No one can defeat you. No one can stop you from staying with an experience, from feeling it in your body, from focusing on what's rewarding about it. And no one can do that for you, yeah. right? It's your responsibility to do that, which means that you'll earn the fruits of your practice. 
There are other methods. I go to them in some detail. People can learn more on my website, rickhanson.net. You have it in the show notes, I'm sure. Mm-hmm. My book, Hardwiring Happiness, is very much about this fundamental process. But uh, the essence is really simple. Have it, enjoy it. Have the experiences that you want to experience whatever you want to grow. And then when you're doing that, deliberately enjoy it. Stay with it. Feel it in your body. Focus on why it's relevant to you. Get a sense of giving yourself over to it, receiving it into yourself. And maybe, if it's appropriate, using this uh, beneficial experience you're internalizing to fill up empty, hollow places inside that did not get enough or have not been getting enough. And also use the beneficial experience. This is the link step, I call it, in this model I have of this process, where we're linking the beneficial experience maybe to a place of pain inside, even a place of young pain inside. Mm. Um, Any single time we do it is usually not uh, life transforming. Once in a while it is, but the gradual accumulation, drop by drop, breath by breath, synapse by synapse of this process of learning in the broadest sense gradually shapes who we are becoming. And we have the power to influence who we are becoming. And we can use that every day for the sake of our own benefit and through us benefiting untold numbers of other people. Yes, uh, there you have it from, from Rick Hansen, permission and encouragement <laughs> to feel good, to lean into feeling good and to yeah. feel good about feeling good, right? We, That's so right. many of us shoot this sort of reflexive second arrow at ourselves for, uh, you know, for all kinds of reasons, um, but especially moms. And, and so, and, yeah. and kind of what I want to pull out too from what you're saying is that the leaning into these beneficial experiences, we accelerate our growth, we accelerate our healing. And this is benefiting not only untold numbers of beings, but specifically our families, yeah. our children are really benefiting from us feeling better, feeling more grounded, being able to be more emotionally regulated, emotionally stable, able to be more response able. Than, you bet. Than it's totally are. true. And again, the greater the challenges, you know, research shows that um, uh, unless a person's job is something like being, you know, an inner city cop or an ER, you know, nurse, mothering is more stressful than almost any job. Mm. Period. It's a lot more stressful than standing around the water cooler gossiping with your buddies <laughs> you <know? laughs> or filling in your quarterly Excel spreadsheet or something or other. And so um, the, you know, the more challenging a person's life is, the more they need to resource. So absolutely true. You know, it's, and it's when we have our own cup runneth over, right? Then we have more for others. Yes. Yes. That's beautiful, great. beautiful way to, to pull it back, you know, back to those, if we have increased challenges, we need increased resources. There's so much I'm pulling from this. This is really so beautiful that you speak so um, calmly and deliberately. And, and I really feel like there's a lot here to re-listen back to. And I, I feel mm. that's really, really valuable. I want to, I want to thank you for for coming on the Mindful Mom podcast and for yeah. and for the work you do, um, it's needed. You know, we we there's been so much um, so much harsh. There's so much harshness in our world and so much negativity. And this this wonderful work grounded in science about 
leaning into what's healing and what's good and what's beneficial is so, so needed. So I really, really thank you for the work that you've done uh, for the world. Um, oh, it's been completely my pleasure. And um, it just seems like life is really complicated. You know, I, I have this kind of internal saying, recognize complexity, act simply, mm -hmm. right? Life's complicated. It really helps to kind of boil it down. And what are two things that really matter a lot? Take good care of mothers. Duh. And also, another big idea is learn as much as you can every day. Grow a little every day. Uh, you asked me kind of where my own background. I know uh, we didn't. I want to. We have to have part two. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'll say this. I'll say this briefly. Uh, a turning point for me happened in my mid-teens. I was probably about 15. I remember I knew I was about that age because I was reading Dune, the sci-fi oh. classic at the time. Which Great book. And, yeah, fantastic book, actually, um, in so many ways. Anyway, and one of the central themes of that book is, is learning. Mm. It's about training. And, you know, the main character, Paul, is trained by his mother. And, you know, it's about training. It's about learning things. And I realized at the time when I was really miserable, it was very very despairing. I felt terrible. I was very shy. I was very awkward. I was very, very self-conscious. I was socially clueless. Uh, I was unhappy. I was estranged really from my parents. I was estranged from other kids. I was very neurotic. It was a mess and kind of beyond your normal teenage angst, truly a mess. And I didn't know what to do. And it came to me that no matter how bad the past had been or how much the present sucked, I could always learn a little every day in the broadest sense. I don't mean learning trigonometry. I mean, learning how to talk to girls or learning how to not, you know, learning how to evade bullies or learning how to not be so neurotic about my parents or learning how to um, be, feel more peaceful and more, develop more self-worth, to learn self-worth, to, to feel more adequate as a being rather than worthless and the runts of the litter. And so um, that was incredibly hopeful to realize no matter how bad it was, we, I had this power, right? I could always grow a little every day. I could always realize a little something. I could get a little more skillful. I could shed a little crud. I could develop a little bit every day. And that is fantastic, right? And I think that's our, our opportunity. We all have that opportunity and we have to claim that power because no one else can do it for us. Yes. Amen. Claim it. Claim that power. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Well, Rick, um, besides uh, finding your books on at, at a bookstore, where can people find out more about you and the work you do? Oh, thank you. Uh, well, I'd say go to my website, rickhanson.net. Uh, it's a great portal. I have all kinds of programs uh, that are very accessible. They're online and they're very affordable. We have scholarships for people with significant financial need. We also have continuing ed units for those who want those like therapists. Beyond all that, most everything there is free. Uh, tons of talks, tons of videos, tons of cool slide sets, uh, lots and lots of material about parenting. I have a whole body of work about uh, parenting from the same page, parental teamwork. I have a whole body of work about intimate friendship, that dimension uh, of which sex is a very small part, but an important one uh, uh, in relationships. Lots of stuff about raising kids, raising adolescents, tons of material there, as well as lots and lots of things about mindfulness. So I would just say go to my website, rickhanson.net. Great. 
We, I'm sure you'll get lots of visitors there. Again, thanks. It's been such a pleasure. Uh, I really, really appreciate you coming on. Oh, thank you, Hunter. And thank you for all the ways you're helping other people. It's very real what you're doing. Thank you. I need to re-listen to this episode because there is so much wisdom dropped here. Oh my goodness. How body awareness can help us disrupt that, that neurotic mind and how we can really just like cultivate traits rather than just have experiences. So, so powerful. And this is the work we do in the Mindful Mama Transformation Coaching Group. I'd mentioned in the beginning, uh, if you are interested in that, go to mindfulmamamentor.com slash group coaching. And maybe you're going to join group coaching and become my VIP or maybe not. But either way, if you love this episode, please drop us some love by sharing it with your friends. Take a screenshot. Tag me with your ahas on Instagram. I'd love to see them or on Facebook. Love to hear about your ahas and start the conversation about this. How can you start to cultivate some traits, right? Rather than just have experiences. How can you take this wild and precious life and, and use what Dr. Rick talked about to help yourself thrive. Like we can do this. We can, we can go from struggling to thriving. I really, really believe it's possible. These tools are out there. So um, yeah, if this spoke to you, let me know, share it around, give it some love, love on the answers too. If you, you have a kiddo who needs eyeglasses, love on pair uh, eyeglasses. So cool. I can't wait to connect with you again next week. So many more amazing episodes coming. And hey, did you know that we are super close to a million episodes downloaded? We will reach a million episodes this week, probably. So yay, a million episodes, celebrating a million episodes with Dr. Rick Hansen. I should have said it in the intro. Oh, well, um, yay. If you're here at the end, thank you for being staying all the way to the end and celebrating with me. I'm doing a little dance. I'm grinning from ear to ear. I'm so happy. A million downloads. That's pretty amazing. So if you love this episode, share it out and we'll maybe we'll get another million. So cool. So I'm wishing you a, a beautiful week, my friend. Thank you so much for listening and helping take us to a million. And I wish you a week full of peace and ease. And I will talk to you again next week. Namaste. No one told us the truth about parenthood. Why? This is the podcast everyone needed before they had kids because now that those little ones are here, whew, there is a lot to unpack. I'm Rachel Shepardota, and I am your host for the podcast No One Told Us, where we tell the truth about parenting and let you in on all the stuff you really should have known about before having kids. I am the founder of Hey Sleepy Baby, but this podcast is so much more than sleep. We'll be diving into all the topics that you really care about and need to know while you do your best job raising those adorable, tidy humans. Our goal is to just make you feel less alone and less overwhelmed. There are so many things that no one tells us before becoming a parent, and I think that we should really pull back the curtain on becoming a first-time or second-time mom or dad to share the good, the bad, and the ugly. We'll have a little education, a little fun, and a whole lot of heart that goes into each and every episode. So join me and our amazing guests each week to hear us talk about what no one told us.